0: Chapter six, Uh, before I introduce our our guest speaker, just a couple of things as well. Now, as you mentioned, uh, downstairs is this extended EP. This got completed a couple of months ago. There's something about worship that really changes the atmosphere of wherever you're at. And some of you, when you drive, you need a change of atmosphere when you drive. And uh, and so this would be a a really good thing to have in your car Uh, so, so the Holy Spirit can change the atmosphere. In your car, especially in traffic and all that, (laughs) so um, you can uh, you can pick that up downstairs for eight dollars. Before I introduce our guest speaker, one of our values at New Life are is we have five M's, and our our fifth M is that we are a missional community. And to be missional means that we we want to be a gift to the world, and that's not just for adults; that's for children as well. And one of the ways that we are intentionally cultivating uh, a missional spirituality in the lives of our kids and our families is by participating in Operation Christmas Child, And so, Kim, uh, can, can you put that up there? Uh, uh, some of you um, parents have already seen uh, shoe boxes and, and downstairs, and so there's some instructions there. If you can't get it up here, uh, there we go. Uh, all the boxes are due November 23rd. Parents, if you have kids, you've probably seen these boxes, but I really want you to, to pay attention to it because really cultivating your children at very early age to think about other people. And uh, we're doing it with our five-year-old daughter Karis, and saying, "Karis, we're, we're going to. There some kids in another part of the world that don't have toys or don't get anything for Christmas, and we want to participate in helping them. And so it's, she's slowly coming around to it. She's slowly coming around to it. Uh, the, the 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 darkness of sin for Christmas is deep. Has, uh, she's like not my toys, right? Uh, you no, know, we're going to get some new toys, okay? <laughs> And so there's some instructions there, but this is our way as a church of of teaching our children, and it becomes a real beautiful family experience as well as your home, uh, teaching your kids about what's happening in other parts of the world. And so uh, for more information, you go go downstairs or make sure you get that. Uh, Our guest speaker today, uh, I'm really excited to introduce him. There's some people that you meet, and uh, immediately there's a sense of a kindred spirit uh, that you feel, connection. With them, and uh, that's what I feel today with Ken Shigematsu. Uh, Ken has known Pete and Jerry for about 17 years or so. Uh, Ken pastors a a large uh, a center, city center church in Vancouver, Canada. It's a um, uh, it's a multi ethnic church, much like ours, and he's been there for 18 years. And he mentioned to me last uh, yesterday that prior to his arrival, they had 20 different pastors in 20 different years. And uh, he's been the one pastor for 18 years. And so could you, I mean, some amazing fruit has uh, come about in his church and in his, uh, his, uh, in his life there. And so uh, Ken has, is a man, really a humble man that really has poured into our church in many different ways. Yesterday he came and spoke at our leadership conference for about 125 leaders or so. And uh, he poured into us, and I was so just grateful that he was here as well to pour into us as a church family here at New Life. And he's going to be talking about what does it mean to to live out of a rule of life, something that we talk about at New Life from time to time. And downstairs, uh, uh, you can get the double bonus today, okay? So you can get some worship, and then you can pick up a book as well. Uh, And you can read the book while you're listening to worship. How about that, all right? (laughs) And so uh, downstairs is Ken's book, God and My Everything. And it's uh, how an ancient rhythm helps busy people enjoy God. And it's creating a structure and a framework to follow Jesus in every aspect of your life. Uh, Ken pastors a church he's married to Sakiko uh, and they have their their, their young five-year-old son, uh, six-year-old, Joey. And um, in addition to all the things that he's done, I, I, I saw yesterday that he's the recipient of the Queen Elizabeth Diamond Jubilee Medal awarded to Canadians in recognition for their outstanding contribution to their country. Listen, if the Queen is giving you a medal, you have something to say, all right? And so uh, I'm grateful that he's here, and he hasn't been here in a while, and when we get guests here, we give them the biggest ovation that we possibly can. So let's give Ken a Queen's Boulevard welcome. (laughs)
1: There's the queen, and then there's queens, right? And it's been such a, a gift to be here. I was telling uh, the community earlier that I, I feel that New Life Fellowship is one of the most important churches in the world. You have your, your, your priorities right in seeking to be this community that is coming to know Jesus more deeply, and then to embody the beauty and the life of Jesus to the world. Pete's been a good friend, and Jerry as well, for the last 17 years. I've learned so much from them both, and it's wonderful to meet Rich. You're very blessed to have him as your your lead pastor. When I was in my 20s, I was working for a corporation in Tokyo, and I was what they described as a 7-Eleven man. Now, if you haven't heard that expression, can you guess what that refers to? When it comes to a, a businessman in Japan. Any guesses? Uh, hours. Yeah, hours. Uh, my workday went from 7 in the morning till 11 at night. So yeah, pretty, pretty long. I mean, even New York City, you're like, wow, that, that's pretty long. And so life was pretty crazy back then. And then I became a pastor in Vancouver, Canada. And I thought, wow. Now, finally, things are going to settle down for me. Well, some of you are chuckling. I was naive in that assumption. I found myself keeping pretty much just as busy. There was always some kind of deadline I was facing, a message to prepare, someone in crisis. In fact, I was working so many late nights that I was visiting the windows, you know, the midnight window at Wendy's so regularly that the woman behind the window came to know me by face and by name lots of late nights. I I suppose I had a rhythm of life back then, but it was undermining the very relationship with the Christ I was trying to serve. I was constantly treading water. And around that time, Leighton Ford, my mentor and and, uh, Pete's, called me up, he's a minister in North Carolina, and he invited me to join him on a pilgrimage to the holy places of Ireland. Are any of you from Ireland in terms of your family tree by chance? Anyone? So we've got some uh, folks of Irish ancestry. I'm not, by the way, of Irish ancestry. (sighs) Uh, But I was intrigued and I wanted to get away. And so, so we go and visit the ancient monasteries of Ireland. And from the monks of Ireland, we learn about this way of life that they describe as a rule of life that enables them to experience God as alive and real, not just in their formal times of prayer and worship, but as they are working out in the fields, as they are studying in the library, as they are preparing meals in the kitchen. And I am hungry for a relationship with God that is that alive and that real. I want to experience God in my everything. So I return home to Vancouver and I begin to put into practice some of the simple habits that I learned from the monks and these habits go on to change my life. And so this morning I want to share part of Daniel's rhythm from the Bible, a part of my own, and then invite you to consider a life-giving rhythm for yourself. But let's take a moment to pray. Living God, as we just sung, as Onaje and the team let us, we, we really want to be more full of your spirit, more filled by your breath. And so, in your mercy, descend upon us, inhabit us, live inside us, and then help us to become people who embody the love, joy, peace, Patience, goodness, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control that we see in your son, Jesus Christ. And it's in his name we pray and for his purposes and glory. Amen. So I want to look at the, the rhythm of Daniel this morning. He's one of the first people in scripture that we know of that lives by an intentional rhythm. Esther did as well. When Esther's people were facing Massacre. Esther fasted. She went without food and called on her community to do the same. So Esther clearly lives by an intentional rhythm. But I want to focus on Daniel's rhythm. Uh, And and it was Pete who first pointed me to Daniel as as a model for, for living by rhythm. Daniel, as some of you may know, as a teenager, experienced his homeland of Judah being besieged, being attacked by King Nebuchadnezzar's army. Daniel's people fell, and as a result, Daniel and a number of his talented friends were forced to move to Babylon, where they were put in a leadership training institute as potential emerging leaders in their new land. Now, I want you to imagine for a moment that you are a student again if you're not currently a full-time student. Okay, so just imagine you're a student again. Every once in a while, I'll have a dream, a nightmare, that I'm a student again. I'm facing some math exam that I'm totally unprepared for. So uh, hopefully, that's not too hard to imagine. Think about whatever school comes most naturally to mind, whether it's NYU, Columbia City College of New York, wh- wh- wherever, uh, NIAC. So you're a full-time student again, okay? You're back in school. All right and you get home this afternoon and someone calls you and tells you that you are being forced to transfer to the University of Tehran in Iran and you gotta leave tomorrow. So tomorrow you find yourself at LaGuardia Airport, you're flying to London, England and then from London to Iran. You get to Iran, someone picks you up at the airport and you're driven to the University of Tehran and then because they don't have dorms you're taken to an apartment nearby And you're unpacking your bags, and someone comes by your room, knocks on the door, you open it. Some Iranian is standing there who speaks English and says, I'm not sure if anyone told you this, but this is not going to be a temporary study abroad program sponsored by NYU. This is a permanent transfer. And you laugh nervously. (laughs) And you're told you'll be spending the rest of your life here. You can never leave. And so you think that you will be forever cut off from your family, your friends, your language, your culture. And you will be living the rest of your days under a Muslim theocracy, under the absolute power of the Grand Ayatollah. How do you feel in that moment of discovery? If you can imagine something of the anxiety and the fear that would rise within you in that moment, you get a small window into how Daniel must have felt when he realized that he would be forever cut off from his family, his friends, his language, his culture in Babylon. As Pete has pointed out, in Babylon... Daniel is going to be immersed in a completely pagan way of viewing science, history, philosophy, and religion. He'll be tutored in subjects like astrology, sorcery, and magic, all of which are considered idolatrous in his homeland of Judah. And later in his life, when Daniel is working for the government, the king issues a decree. Making it a capital offense for anyone to pray to any god except the king. A crime punishable by death at the mouths of really hungry lions. And so there are these powerful forces that seem to be conspiring to pull Daniel off of his relationship with God. But what happens to Daniel? Does his friendship with God just shrivel away and die? No. Daniel's relationship with God becomes more alive and more real than ever before. In fact, people look at Daniel and they say, that guy is living with so much wisdom and courage that the only way we can explain him is by saying, the spirit of the gods must live in him. Now, I don't know what you would consider to be the most meaningful compliment you could receive might be. Maybe it's that you're brilliant at your work or your studies. Or that you are an outstanding athlete or a great Knicks fan. <laughs> you know, I saw the cap. Um, or that you are a really gifted artist or a musician. Or you're an amazing parent, a loyal friend. You've got a great sense of humor, a, a great sense of style. But maybe the greatest compliment you could receive would be for someone to look at you And to say, the only way I can explain her is by saying the spirit of the living God must live in her. Or the only way I can explain that man is by saying that the divine life must live in his soul. How does Daniel become a person who is so beautiful? And so mysterious that the only explanation for him is that a living, loving God lives inside him. Well, Daniel does not leave it to chance. When Daniel hears that it has become illegal to pray to any God except the king, a crime punishable by death at the mouths of hungry lions, Daniel goes home. He goes to his upstairs room. And then looking toward the window facing Jerusalem, which symbolically is God's presence, the locus of God's presence, Daniel drops to his knees. And in Daniel 6.10, we read that three times a day, Daniel prayed, giving thanks to God, just as he had done before. And in a way that I can't logically explain to you, when Daniel is on his knees, praying and giving thanks to God, the living God is there, breathing upon Daniel, exhaling upon Daniel. And so Daniel cannot help but... Inhale the very breath of God. And so Daniel becomes this embodiment of God's wisdom and courage and love and power in the world. And people who live lives that are so beautiful and so mysterious that the only explanation for them is that a living, loving God lives inside them. Have some kind of rhythm to receive the breath of God. It might be as simple as setting the chime on their watch to chime on the hour to remind them to briefly pause and give thanks to God. It might be as simple and as elegant as, as Daniel and Rich's practice of pausing to pray three times a day. But people who live lives that are so beautiful and so mysterious that the only explanation for their life is the presence of a living, loving God have some kind of rhythm to receive the breath or the Spirit of God. They have what the ancient monks describe as a rule of life. Don't let the word rule scare you if you're new here, because the way the monks use the word rule is different from the way that you and I use the word rule. When monks speak of a rule, they are tapping into the ancient original Greek meaning of the word rule, which simply means trellis. And if you have been to a vineyard whether in the Niagara region of our continent US or Canadian side the Napa Valley of California you know that a trellis is simply a structure that supports a grapevine enabling it to receive more sunlight to be pruned and guided in its growth so that it becomes more fruitful and so it is for us in our spiritual lives a trellis or a rhythm of life is simply something, a way of life that supports our relationship with God so that we receive more of the sunlight of Jesus Christ in our lives, so to speak, so that our lives can be pruned and simplified, so that you and I bear more of the fruit of Jesus' love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. And I don't know about you, but I long for and desperately need more of the fruit of Jesus's character in my own life now let me be clear here the process of your producing the fruit of Jesus's character in your life is God's work Jesus said in John 15 I am the vine you are the branches if you remain in me and I remain in you you will bear much fruit apart from me you can do nothing right so Your fruit-bearing is God's work. Hopefully that enables you to relax because it's not all on your shoulders. But the Bible also says in Philippians 2, work out your salvation with fear and trembling because God is at work within you both to will and to do according to his good pleasure. So we play a role. It's God's work to make us more like Jesus, but we play a role. The Bible says the Holy Spirit is at work in you and you you changing your desires many making you want to live in a way that that honors God and does you good so just go with it just go with it and one of the ways that you can just go with it is by having a simple trellis a rhythm that supports your most life-giving relationship of all your relationship with Jesus Christ now ideally having a trellis or a rhythm doesn't feel like I have to but I get to I'm from Vancouver Uh, just north of Seattle, on the coast. Um, And I love to sail. Sailing for me does not feel like a have to, but a get to. Uh, Someone dropped by my office unannounced and said, I'm sorry for barging in on you like this, but I have something really important that I want to tell you uh, and it'll only take a minute. And I said, no problem, what's on your mind? And he said, I'm in the process of organizing a fundraiser for a Christian camp in British Columbia. And we have been able to secure some world-class wines at a fire sale price, at a Black Friday price. And he said, so we're deciding to hold an auction to raise money. And we thought it would be a great idea if we included in the auction a sailing trip with you. Guy's like, I'm I'm really sorry to ask you to do this because I know you're so busy, so busy, but this is a really good cause. I was like, are you kidding me? I don't care about the fundraiser. When are we going sailing? <laughs> I don't have a boat. Their family has a beautiful yacht. For me, sailing doesn't feel like a have to, but a get to. When I'm out on the water, especially when the sun is out and there's a breeze blowing across the bay, I just feel energized. I feel more alive. And so it is with my simple rhythm, my travels. It doesn't feel like a have to, but a get to. It exposes me. Like sailing, that was more to the sunlight of Jesus Christ, more to the fresh wind of the Spirit. And it, it lifts me up. It makes me feel more alive. It's a gift. So let me share part of my simple uh, trellis with you, part of my simple rhythm. A part of it includes Sabbath. Uh, and I know that you embrace that value here at New Life. Uh, simply a 24-hour period of time, ideally, where I stop working, unplug from stuff related to work, and have a day to to pray and to play. Now, for those of us who tend to be workaholics, honoring the fourth of the Ten Commandments is really important. I have workaholic tendencies. I don't know if it's because I'm Asian. But as you know, you don't have to be Asian to have workaholic tendencies, right? You just have to be from Queens. (laughs) If you have that tendency, this command is really life-giving and important. And here's, here's what I'm finding is Peter Firms. It's far better to work from rest rather than desperately needing to rest from work. Hear the difference? It's better to enter into work from a place of rest rather than desperately needing to rest from work. And that's part of the gift of Sabbath. So that's part of my simple rhythm. Another part of my simple rhythm is exercise. Now, I don't mention that just because you've got a big marathon in the city today and I'm urging you to do it next year. No, not at all. And I don't want to lay this on you. This is just my own rhythm. But I find exercise life-giving. We've got a two-year-old golden retriever who still acts like a puppy. So every morning I take her on a run or uh, on a bike ride or I go swimming. And it it feels like a gift to me. Uh, There's a researcher named Dr. James Proshaka who uh, works at the University of Rhode Island. And he points out that the research shows that exercise is a, quote, keystone habit for many people. Meaning, people who regularly exercise tend to experience change in other parts of their life. So the data shows that for people who regularly exercise, they, they tend to make healthier eating choices... Uh, They tend to be more focused at work. And they tend to be more patient with people because they feel less stressed out. The research also shows that people who regularly exercise tend to use their credit cards less. (laughs) The experts don't know why, but I do. It's because after you exercise, you're just too tired to go shopping. (laughs) So Sabbath, exercise is part of my rhythm. And then third meditation now I know that some people think that meditation is just a weird waste of time but it's it's a it's a it's a it's a gift to a lot of people Uh, I tend to be very easily distracted like there are a thousand and eight chimpanzees jumping around in my head at any given moment or as one brother from the south puts it it's like there are two monkeys in my head but just one banana (laughs) and so at some point in the morning I'll, I'll find a place to sit, and I'll just take some time to breathe deeply. <sighs> so distracted by the noise. or by, How much time has gone by anyway? And so I'll set my timer on my watch to maybe just 10 or 15 minutes, so I'm not thinking about the time. <sighs> breathe deeply. so easily distracted that I often find it helpful to have something from the Bible, even a single word like wait from Isaiah 40. And I just simply repeat, wait, as in wait on God. Wait. Or the words from the gospel where that blind man says, Jesus, have mercy on me, a sinner. Jesus, have mercy on me sinner timer goes off I'm done I stand up and I usually feel just a little bit more relaxed and throughout the day just a little bit more focused and aware of Jesus meditation as I mentioned is biblical it's also practical Dr. Kelly McGonagall is a psychologist who teaches at Stanford and she points out that if you will meditate for as little as between 10 and 15 minutes a day for between two and three weeks, you will show signs of greater attention and self-control. And the research shows that if you will meditate for as little as between 10 to 15 minutes a day for over two to three months and then we were to do an MR scan on your brain, the scan would show that the neural networks in your brain associated with being able to focus and control your impulses have grown. And the gray matter in your brain associated with feeling anxiety and experiencing depression has actually shrunk. So meditation rewires your your soul and your brain. There's a guy named Andrew who in some ways is a lot like me He was trained as an engineer. He's very easily distracted. And he began to experiment with meditation. And after a little while, he said to himself, I'm going to quit. I'm such a a loser at meditation. I'm so bad at it when I try to breathe deeply and relax and focus. All of these other thoughts start to invade my brain. I'm going to quit. But then he thought about it for a moment. And he said to himself, but... On the days I meditated, even if it was for, say, just 10 or 15 minutes, later in the day, when I was standing in line at the cafeteria and I really wanted to order something deep-fried and salty, and he was trying to watch his diet, on those days, I tended to make a healthier food choice. And on the days I meditated, even if it wasn't for very long, and later in the day, there was something really sarcastic that was about to fly off the tip of my tongue, On those days, I was more likely to bite my tongue. And on the days I meditated, when I got distracted at work, which is all the time, I was able to a little bit more easily refocus on my work. Now, these things may sound kind of superficial. Our eating choices, how we talk to one another, whether we are present at our work or not. But if our hope and prayer is to experience God in our everything, then these things, our eating choices, how we interact with one another, and whether we are present at our work or school, really do matter. I've written a book, as Rich has mentioned, called God in My Everything, How an Ancient Rhythm Helps Busy People Enjoy God. And in the book, there is this graph that outlines some of the practices which taken together could become a rhythm or rule of life, a trellis. Uh, Not all of them at the same time. That would be overwhelming, but, you know, maybe a few of them together. So, for example, um, I write about Sabbath, ideally a 24-hour period of time where you unplug from work. Now, I know this is New York City, and some of you are saying right now, there's just no way. There's no way I could take a day off of work. I don't have the time. National Geographic did a study which suggests that if you keep a 24-hour Sabbath, As a woman, you might add up to nine years to your life expectancy. It's a study done on people who live to age 100 and beyond and flourish. The National Geographic study also suggested that if you are a man and you keep a 24-hour Sabbath, you might add up to 11 years to your life expectancy. Why is it that men might be able to add more potentially to their life through Sabbath-keeping than women? I think it's because, as we all know, I think, that women tend to be healthier than men to begin with. So we men just have more catch-up to do. All right? <laughs> Pete, I'm sure, and Rich have said, you can't outgive give God. They were thinking about money. It may be true of time, too. The point is not to live as long as possible, but, but you will flourish in every way. Prayer. God is with you all the time. There's never a time when God is not with you, whether you believe in God or not. So every moment of your day could be considered a period of prayer. It's just that most of us are not conscious of God. Most of the time. A simple rhythm can help us become more aware of God more of the time. Write about that. Write about meditation on God and on scripture. The powerful difference spiritual friendship can make. Can you read this word here in the middle, on the bottom? Sexuality. Good eyesight. People are asking me, why is that word written in such small font when sexuality is such a big part of our lives? Good question. Didn't design it. But in this chapter in the book, I write about how we can channel our sexual energy in ways that honor God and foster creativity in ourselves and others. I write about that in part from personal experience. If you're here and you have kids, um, family, uh, or you're part of a family, I write about how you can establish practices that help you grow with Christ together as a family, even as Pete and Jerry have done and Rich is doing. I write about care for the body, play. Let me ask you this. Is there something in your life that you do that makes you feel really alive? I hope so. You know, for me, it's doing something physical outdoors. For you, it might be listening to amazing music, viewing beautiful art, spending time with someone really special, eating your favorite foods. Uh, Whatever it is that makes you come really alive over time is a spiritual practice, even if it doesn't seem overtly spiritual. Parker Palmer once said, The Quaker writer, self-care is never a selfish act. It is the stewardship of the only gift you have to offer the world. Write about healthy relationship toward money, seeing work as part of your worship. And then I write about justice and bearing witness to Jesus. You see, having a trothis or a rhythm of life isn't just about your personal flourishing, though that will likely happen if you live by an intentional rhythm. If you have a trellis and having a a rhythm or trellis isn't even about just you and God, God and me, though your relationship with God will likely deepen through an intentional rhythm or trellis. But the goal of the trellis ultimately in the rhythm of life is to become so exposed to the sunlight of Jesus Christ, so full of the breath of God's spirit that you can't help but embody the love and the beauty and the justice of Jesus and bring that into your world, into your friendships, into your family, into your community, schools and workplaces. That's the goal. If you're new to this idea of rhythm or spiritual practices or you've kind of put it off for a while, I recommend that you start simply. Maybe pick one practice that connects you with God, that fills you with God in in an uplifting way. And then maybe add a second practice in time that that really energizes you personally, some kind of practice that makes you become more human, more alive. And then maybe in time add a third practice that leads you into the lives of other people in relationship or in service. I know that New Life is all about this. If your rhythm of life, if your trellis starts to feel like this, oh, it's killing me. It's killing me. Feel heavy. It's killing me. Uh, then it's probably a self-created rhythm, not a spirit-inspired rhythm. Because if it's spirit-inspired, it's not going to feel like this. Oh, my life feels happier. It's going to feel like this. Oh, my life feels supported. I feel freer. I feel lighter. I feel more alive. Now let me say this. If you're new to a spiritual practice, just like sailing, sometimes it takes a little bit of time and practice to master or, I mean, to, to, you know, to, for the, the practice to, to work in your life. Um, but once you've worked at it, it's going to feel like this if, you're, if it's spirit-inspired. It's going to, oh, my life feels freer and lighter. You know, as um, Pete implied and Rich, we're moving into one of the busiest times of the year. Black Friday, Thanksgiving, Christmas. And if you think about it, you're going to have some kind of rhythm to your life, either by your design or by default like it or not. If you feel that it would be helpful for you to have a rhythm that actually supports your friendship with Jesus Christ, your most life-giving friendship of all, rather than sabotages it, then this book, God in My Everything, How an Ancient Rhythm Helps Busy People Enjoy God, may be helpful for you. All the proceeds from the book are going to World Vision and their work with vulnerable children. So we were thrilled when it became a number one bestseller. If you're here and you cannot afford it, uh, let me know afterwards and I'll be glad to buy you a copy. Um, So I don't want you to leave feeling, I've never been able to buy a book or I can't buy books. I really want to read this one. I don't want you to think that children will go hungry in Africa because you got a gift copy. It's coming from me. I'd be honored to do that. Um, there's a woman in Helen, Chinese, I think she just took that as a western name she's from China, she approached me this summer and said, I'm I'm 83 years old, I never read books I'm not a book person but I was walking through the lobby in church and someone stopped me and said, at a book table and said you need to buy this book, God in my everything she said, I don't even read books and he said, buy it for your friend, buy it for someone else And Asians have a tough time saying no, so she said, okay. (laughs) Asians also hate to waste money, so she decided to read it. It was the second book she'd ever read in her life. (laughs) And no, that's what she said, I'm not exaggerating. Grade 6 English, she told me, reading it with a Mandarin English dictionary. And she said, this book has uplifted me, it's really shaped me. Thank you. It's meant a lot to me. So even if English is not your first language, I think you'll find this meaningful. and it, The young people are enjoying it. Yesterday a couple of young uh, women of African ancestry said they really enjoyed this book. If we, the, the bookstore people are saying, or the people at the resource table are saying, we're projecting that we'll sell out the book. We brought more than, than was suggested. But if we sell out, you can just put your name down, pay for it, and we'll have HarperCollins send it this week. We'll give it to you at our friends and family discount. So, um, My wife, from time to time, looks at me and she says, Ken, you're the happiest pastor I know. My wife doesn't know many pastors. (laughs) She spent more time with Pete and Jerry and Rich and his family, Pete, Myrna, Red. I'm sure my ranking would be dropping awfully quickly because this is a very joyful leadership team. Um, But to the extent that I experience joy and peace. It's not because there is an absence of crisis in my life. I am a a pastor in the inner city of Vancouver. I'm faced with crisis all the time. And so to the extent that I experience joy and happiness, it's not because there is an absence of crisis. It's partly because I, I, I am gifted with an amazing family and some great friends. But it's also largely because I have this very simple rhythm, this simple trellis that that supports my most life-giving friendship of all, my friendship with Jesus Christ. And my hope and prayer for you here at New Life is that you would know the joy and peace that comes not from the absence of crisis because sometimes pain opens us up to the grace of God like nothing else can. My hope and prayer for you is that you would know the joy that comes from a very real and alive friendship with Jesus Christ. My hope and prayer for you is that you would know the wonder and the happiness and the joy that comes from knowing God's presence is alive and real, not just in your times of formal prayer and worship, but in your work, in your studies, in your play, in your rest, in your sleeping even. That like Daniel and like Esther, my prayer for you is that you would know God in your everything. As we prepare to come to the table, let's, let's pray. You may be here, and you're not really sure that you have a genuine relationship with Jesus Christ. I want you to know on this Sunday, on this windy Sunday here in Queens, that Jesus Christ extends his arms to you in friendship. And in fact, 2,000 years ago, he extended his arms for you on a Roman cross. And he bore in his body your sins and your shame so that you could be forgiven and freed from them. And if you will simply open your heart to Jesus Christ and say, I come to you now, forgive my sins and live in me, he will. Your life may not be easier. In some ways it may be more challenging. But I promise you, you will know a joy and a meaning in your life that you've never known before. And Jesus Christ will always walk with you. And so if you'd like, you can say to Christ, yes, I come to you now. I want a friendship with you, and he will hear your prayer. And if you're praying that prayer now, or you've prayed something like that in the past, or I want you to know that, that he feels your prayer, God feels your prayer, and answers it. And so receive this blessing as we prepare to come to the Lord's table. May Jesus Christ be on your right. And may Jesus Christ be on your left. And may Jesus Christ be in front of you. And may Jesus Christ have your back. May Jesus Christ be over you. May Jesus Christ be under you. And through the Holy Spirit. And through the bread. And through the cup. May Jesus Christ actually live inside you. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.
0: Thank you. Can we all stand together as we prepare to take uh, communion together? And I'm going to invite the folks who are going to be giving out the bread and the cup to come to your uh, areas here. What Ken is inviting us to is to create and craft a personal rule of life, and I love what he said, that it's, it's a rhythm that enables you to receive the breath of God, and some of you right now are probably running through life uh, short of breath, and today's an opportunity for us to receive the breath of God afresh, and that's our individual rule of life, but we have a communal rule of life as well as... Uh, stated here on this banner here, but one of the things that we do when we gather together, especially the first uh, Sunday of the month, is we gather together to take communion together. And this is part of our community rule of life, our family rule of life here. And what we're doing when we take communion is we are positioning ourselves to receive the breath of God, that God would breathe in us as we take bread, as we dip it in the cup, doing something so simple that we would encounter the risen Jesus in profound ways. And so in the balcony here and down below, you can, uh, you can uh, take the directions from the ushers, and as you take bread, you can dip it in the cup, go back to your seat, and hold it. But we come to the table by grace. We don't come in our name. We come in his name. We don't come in our works. We come in his works. We don't come in our righteousness. We come in the righteousness of Jesus. And when we come, we come uh, full of grace and mercy. This is the God who loves us with an everlasting love, and he extends his hands to you in friendship and in love. And so uh, you can take the bread, go back to your seat, and now lead us as we take communion together. So, Father, as we come to the table, thank you for grace and mercy. Thank you for uh, this table of love and communion with you. And so we come, we take this simple bread, we dip it in this cup, and may we encounter you in a profound way as we do so. In Jesus' name, and everyone said... Amen. With the bread in your hand that's been dipped in a cup, there's a a verse that comes to mind in the book of Romans that says that it is the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. It is the grace of God that leads us to repentance. Notice what the verse doesn't say. It doesn't say it is repentance that leads you to grace. And it's a very significant difference. You don't repent and then get the grace of God. The grace of God is already offered to you. And it is out of that place of grace that repentance comes. And so this is why when we come to the table, we come to the table based on grace. But that grace is to lead us to repentance. And this is why when we take uh, the bread and we dip it in the cup, we have a moment of confession together. Because we say, Lord, your your, your grace is overwhelming. Your love is overwhelming. Fantastic, And it is out of that place where I I recognize my shortcomings and I recognize my deficiencies and I recognize my gaps. And so I confess my sins to you. And so I want to give us a moment to privately confess our sins before God. All the ways that you have rejected the love of Jesus for you. All the ways that you have been entangled in sin that has uh, somehow marred uh, the image of God in you. And out of that place, I want to uh, lead us in praying a prayer of confession. Let's take a moment of just silence right now to offer your sin and confession before the risen Jesus. Let's pray this prayer and the reason we do it together when we confess it out loud is we're essentially saying to the person on the right and the left, I'm just as bad as you are and we need all the help we can get together as a family. So together, let's pray this confession. God of all mercy, we confess that we have sinned against you, opposing your will in our lives. We have denied your goodness in each other, in ourselves and in the world you have created. We repent of the evil that enslaves us, the evil we have done and the evil done on our behalf. Forgive, restore, and strengthen us through our Savior, Jesus Christ, that we may abide in your love and serve only your will. Amen. Let's all take together. As we close our gathering here, I want to invite our prayer team to come to my right. And we close every service, every gathering with prayer because we cannot live apart from a dynamic union with God in prayer. And we need other people to pray with us and pray for us. And so as Ken led you in that prayer and led us in that prayer, maybe you made a decision to follow Christ today for the first time. Maybe you prayed a prayer that said, you know what, I'm ready to, res- God, Jesus' arms are, are stretched to me. Out. I want to stretch my arms out to Jesus as well. And if you've made that decision, we have our, our prayer team here that would love to pray with you, give you some resources, whatever you need to start your journey. We would love to do that. But in addition to that, maybe you're already a Christian, but your life is off-centered. You're frazzled, you're frenzied, you're overwhelmed, you're filled with anxiety. The joy of the Lord is available to you. The peace of God is available to you. And if you need someone just to pray with you and walk with you in a difficult season of your life that maybe you're in right now, you can come up for prayer. Ken will be downstairs in the uh, the lobby area. You can pick up the book there. I believe he's going to be in the shell room because there's just more space there to sign books. You can meet him. You can sign the book there. But you can also connect in the shell room refreshments and all of that there and down in the lobby as well. But as we close, I want to invite you to open your hands towards heaven to receive a blessing. And if you're new here, we close every gathering like this because this is a sign of receiving. And we cannot give what we have not received. And so we are called to receive the love of God so that we can give the love of God. And this just becomes a very tangible, practical way of receiving and posturing our hearts and posturing our lives. And so brothers and sisters and sons and daughters of the living God, may the Lord bless you and may he keep you. May he shine his face upon you and may he fill you with peace. May you walk out of this building in the power of the Holy Spirit with a greater rhythm to sustain your life with Jesus. May you walk out with peace and joy that you did not walk in with. And may that peace and joy overflow to those around you at your workplace and in your home and wherever you go this week. And so I bless you all today in the strong and the beautiful and the resurrected name of Jesus and the people of God said, Amen. amen. Grace and peace, everyone. See you downstairs.